Trevor, would you do the honors and introduce us to your new son? Judson Julius. Judson Julius. Congratulations. Born about a week ago now, right? Yeah, we are so excited for you all. Congratulations. There's one cute kid. If you join me, let's go to our God in prayer before we turn to his word. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the life of, of Judson. Uh, we rejoice with Trevor and Dakota as um, they welcome in this, this young man into their home. Uh, Father, we thank you for the Keeters and their ministry here in this church, and we look forward to, to watching this young man grow. Um, we pray that you would bless them and that you would bless, bless Judson. Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, uh, we are thankful that you give us words of life. We're thankful that you sustain us and that you teach us and that, that you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. And as we turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 8, Lord, I just pray that you would open up our eyes, help us to see the words that are on this text, help us to hear what you have to say here, and I pray that you would engage our minds, that this wouldn't just be a, a practice and an exercise in, in tradition or just something we do and go through the motions each week, but, but Lord, might we truly think through what you are communicating to us in your word. Father, I pray that you change our hearts. Please soften our hearts. Find those places where there's sin that needs to be addressed. And Father, I pray you'd help us to follow you. Please teach us now, we pray. Amen. You know, animals can be an incredible source of entertainment. You all feel the same way? Just watch, you know, I mean, just, just turn on YouTube and like a third of the videos on there are animals doing things because people just like being entertained with these creatures. We, we love just to watch their enthusiasm. And uh, how about how do a, a dog in a park just chasing after a Frisbee, going after it over and over and over again just because it, it just delights him to chase this thing that flies in the air and bring it back to the master? Or there's that uh, smile on our face when we're driving down the road and, and there's a, a young calf or a horse that's just throwing itself and flailing in the air and running through a field because it just wants to run and, and jump. But perhaps the, one of the greatest entertainments that God has given to mankind is the opportunity to watch a cat chase a shadow. There's just something funny about seeing a cat being obsessed with something that isn't actually there. We, we have an indoor cat that's about 16 or 17 years old. I, I probably got it wrong. We've been discussing how old she is. Am I out on target? And so um, she's slowing down nowadays. But every once in a while, we'll all be in bed and something will still get her going at 12.30 in the morning. And if you're awake you'll hear that rag doll tearing through the hallway, chasing after something that doesn't exist at all. At least I, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> She'll run back and forth a few times before the claw, she claws at her post and then moves on to go stare at a door somewhere. And, and it brings a smile to my face every single time because I know that she's never going to catch what she's chasing. You know, people are a lot like our family's cat we have a, a tendency to get excited about stuff. Sometimes stuff that really isn't that important. Sometimes, sometimes stuff that's just not actually even there. 
Give us a football game, for example, and we will whoop and we will cheer and we will holler about a ball and some grown men who are running it back and forth across a chunk of painted grass. Give us a cell phone and a data plan and we will spend hours crushing candy just to reach some new artificial digital level that, that won't change our life in one bit. But it's more than just the, the things we do to entertain ourselves, isn't it? We have a lot of good things in life. You know, Candy Crush, I mean, sometimes it brings us entertainment. Football can be fun and a great opportunity with friends. Uh, but sometimes there's things that are, are necessary, things that have real value. But we tend to elevate those good things over some more important things. Careers become something that often get put in front of family. Events and activities are oftentimes elevated over our worship. Education often takes the place of seeking wisdom. In other words, we, we do a lot of chasing shadows. And so it's entertaining and it keeps us occupied. But too often we miss out on the more excellent thing because we become obsessed with these things that have lesser value or sometimes have no value at all. And that's the message of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews is a wake-up call that reminds us that Jesus Christ is supreme. That Jesus is superior to everything. Jesus Christ is superior to all of those some things that we pretend are everything. Now for the Hebrews, we, we've discussed this a few times, for the Hebrews, that something that was being addressed, they were facing a very real temptation, like, like we face, but a very real temptation for them that they were toying with this idea of returning to, to the old, outdated system of, of temples and, and priests and sacrifices and holidays that their people had followed for some, some 1,400 years. It was a system that God had set up. It was an outdated system that had been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, and, but they were tempted to go back to that system that they had grown up in and had been, it had been passed down to their families for generations and generations. But when Jesus came, He instituted a new system, a new covenant, which we'll talk about next week. A new covenant, and, and He fulfilled the law. He accomplished uh, his work on the cross and in His resurrection. And in doing so, He provided something far greater than what they had under the Old Testament law. And so Hebrews chapter 8 is, is a great chapter for us to come back to Hebrews in. Uh, we've taken, taken a break uh, over the last couple of weeks as we've um, worshipped our Lord and remembered His resurrection. But um, as we come to Hebrews chapter 8, it's a perfect chapter to come back to because it's a nice transition right at the beginning that summarizes what he's been talking about and then he, he pushes us and, and propels us forward. Uh, we're currently in the middle of what is the largest section of the book of Hebrews. Um, I've described Hebrews kind of like this. Uh, it, it's kind of like a large wheel that has a hub in the center. And that hub is what? What, what is that hub all about, that, that center that he keeps coming back to? Jesus is supreme. Bingo, you got it. You got it. If you get one thing in Hebrews, get it that. Jesus is supreme. That's what he, he keeps on coming back to. And like, like a wheel that has a hub, you're going to have all these spokes that go out to the outside of the wheel, to the rim. And, and, and so he's going to deal with this concept and show how Jesus is superior and better than the angels. And then he comes back to that hub 
Jesus is supreme. And then he follows another spoke of the wheel, and he talks about how Jesus is superior and better than Moses. And then he comes back to that center. Jesus is supreme. And he spent the first couple chapters showing how Jesus is greater than the angels, how Jesus is greater than Moses over the next couple chapters. And by far the largest section of Hebrews is what we're in the middle of right now. And it extends from chapter 5 to chapter 10. And in this whole section, there's actually several spokes that that uh, he deals with as he's showing that Jesus is, is better than the high priests of the Old Testament. And here at the beginning of chapter 8, we find ourselves at the center. We followed that first spoke of this section in which he, he shows how Jesus is, is better than, than the high priests. And, and, and now we're back at that core where Jesus is supreme. And then through the rest of this chapter, he's going to show us how Christ is, is, has, uh, in Christ we have a better covenant. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. Look with me how he brings us back to the center. Uh, quickly reminds us um, about where we've been, and then he's going to point us forward. He says this, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now again, we've just spent a couple months discovering how Jesus is a greater high priest than those Old Testament Levitical, that, the, the priests of the Old Testament Levitical system, the, the sons of Aaron and the descendants of Levi. We, we started in chapter 5 and we looked at the interview. Like any good job and any good employee, you, you're going to come and you have this interview and there's certain qualifications that you meet. And, and in chapter 5, the author of Hebrews lays out a list of qualifications that any high priest has to fulfill, including Jesus. And Hebrews has been showing us how Jesus not only meets these qualifications that a high priest has to accomplish, but he completely sets a new standard for what it means to fulfill those. And that is the kind of high priest that we have in Jesus, who is God, but took on flesh and became a man. He is a high priest who represents us like no other Old Testament priest ever could before. Jesus is a high priest who sympathizes with us in a way that, that absolutely no other person can because He experienced our suffering, He experienced our pain, all the trials and all the temptations of this life. Jesus went through those kinds of things to a level that none of us have even experienced. And so He can sympathize with us. He completely understands your weakness. And He intercedes for you. He intercedes for us before the very throne of God. And, and Hebrews has talked to us about how that role that Jesus has taken on to be our high priest, to be our intercessor, who is constantly interceding for you and for me, is going to do so for eternity. For eternity, Jesus is going to serve in that capacity for you and for me. But there, there's a problem we saw. There was a problem with Jesus being a high priest. Does anybody remember what it was? What was the problem with Jesus being a high priest? Yeah. He wasn't born in the right family. According to the Old Testament, you had to be born to the tribe of Levi. Specifically, you had to be one of the sons of Aaron, Moses' brother. Because that was the line that God had appointed for all of the high priests. We know that he qualified to be the king of Israel because he, was, he comes from the tribe of Judah. 
Jesus was born in the line of David. But in the Old Testament, only the descendants of Levi, and specifically the sons of Aaron, were appointed to serve as high priests. And Jesus, we find, is disqualified according to the Old Testament Levitical code. But, but the lesson that we learned when we were going through that chapter 7, it was a tough chapter, wasn't it? A lot of meat and it was full. Um, but what God showed us there is that God the Father who gave Israel the law, He was the giver of the law, He provided something even greater than the law by swearing an oath to Jesus. God the Father, at some point, probably in eternity past, swore an oath to Jesus. And that oath was recorded in Psalm 110, which is really, that's the main text of, our, of Hebrews. That's what he's preaching about. He keeps on coming back to Psalm 110 over and over again. In Psalm 110, Jesus is appointed as a high priest, as we saw in the order of Melchizedek. Again, that was some pretty heavy material that we won't get into again today. But suffice it to say, Jesus now serves as a better kind of high priest than that which they had in the Old Testament. And and that's the point that that he's making here at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 8. Jesus is supreme. He's supreme over all of it. He reminds us of the main Old Testament passage that he's been preaching about, Psalm 110, when he reminds us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the throne in heaven. So he kind of alludes back to that passage. And then in verse 2, he gives us a glimpse of where we're going to go in the rest of the chapter when he mentions that Jesus is a minister in the holy places. Now for the Jews, if you hear the word holy places, what, what does your mind immediately go to? Yeah, it goes to the temple. You start thinking about Jerusalem and, and the temples arranged in different courts, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the, the priests through the court of Israel. And, and then you'd go up these 12 steps to this beautiful temple that, that Solomon had first created and then, and then uh, Herod came along and, and he, re, he re, re, um, rebuilt it and, and it was glorious. And you go up these 12 steps and there was ceremony going all over and and priests doing their work and sacrifices being made. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest goes up those 12 steps and with great ceremony, everybody watches and it it was amazing. And and the first room that he would go into would be called the Holy Place. And as we're going to discover in chapter 9, that's where you'd have all the, the, the table of showbread and there's all these pieces of furniture that were part of their worship. And he'd go through holy place and finally he would come to what was called the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant stood until indiana jones found it um no that's not how it happened please and so um they would be thinking about this temple and these holy places that were part of that worship in jerusalem but hebrews throws a curveball at us and it says hold on a second hold on because Jesus is not a minister in the temple in Jerusalem. He's not there. He doesn't go up those 12 steps once a year. It physically ascended into heaven, and where you think of the holy places being over there in Jerusalem, where everybody watches all the celebrations and all the festivals, Jesus is not there performing His duties at that temple. He's not at the, the tabernacle in Shiloh that was destroyed or, or taken down so long before that. Jesus, we're told, has gone into the true tent in heaven. Into a holy place set up by God Himself, not created by 
human artists or construction workers. And so let's explore this new spoke of the wheel and see what he's talking about. You see, in Jesus, not only is He better than the angels, not only is He better than Moses, and not only is He better than the high priests, but now He's going to show us that Jesus has a better ministry than all the priests in the Old Testament. Look at verses 3-6. through six. He says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this high priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now, again, let me express. I, I, I just want to tell you guys, I, I, I continue to have conversations with many of you as, you've been, as we've been exploring Hebrews together. And I have to tell you, after talking with many of you about Hebrews and what you're learning, uh, some, some of you have been reading Hebrews for the first time. And, and it, it thrills my heart that, that you are diving into this book that was a little bit scary before, and, and you're getting it, you're understanding it. Uh, many of you are rereading the passages that we study on Sundays, and you're going home and you're, you're looking back over the text, and you've been telling me how, how you've been discovering new things and how you're growing and, and, and what God's teaching you. And, and you're, you're going through your notes so that you can better understand the text. And I just want to say, I, it, I can't tell you how that delights my soul as your pastor. It just it thrills me that, that you are diving into God's Word and, 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 and you're not depending on me and you're not depending on Brian and Craig and the deacons to, to just spoon-feed you. Uh, you're, you're not just being satisfied with the milk of the Word, the, the basics, uh, but you're working on some serious stake. You've taken God's Word and says, I'm going to really do on this because there's gold here. There are nutrients in this. And, and when you reread those passages, you're discovering so many things. And that just that thrills me. And I just want to say thank you. So when you reread this passage, make a note for yourself in your notes and write down Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 and 8.3. In 5.1 and Hebrews 8.3, what he's doing here is repeating what he said back in chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, but what he does is he skips a couple phrases. And so those two verses, have basic, they're basically a quote of one another, but he leaves out a couple phrases in, in chapter 8. In chapter 5, verse 1, he started that section by stating that every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then here in chapter 8, verse 3, he starts this new section by making the exact same statement but then he focuses on the part about Jesus offering gifts and sacrifices. And so what he's doing is saying, okay, we're coming back to this same concept that we've been dealing with since chapter 5, but now we're going to move on to the next, the, next, um, the next section about these gifts and offerings that he makes. And then in verse 4, he simply summarizes what we learned in chapter 7 about Melchizedek. If, if Jesus was on earth he would not be a priest because Jesus was not born into the right family and he wouldn't be able to serve in the Jerusalem temple because that temple operates according to the Old Testament law. And Jesus was not qualified to be a priest under the Old Testament law. Jesus is qualified to be a priest under an oath that God made to him according to a different order of priests, a better order of priests. Now look at verse 5 and listen to how Jesus' ministry is more excellent. They, that is the Old Testament priests and the offerings they make in Jerusalem, serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. 
For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Now, now here's what just happened. You've all memorized Scripture. Uh, Most of us know John 3.16. You have uh, some psalms that are your go-tos that you really enjoy and bring you comfort. There's some passages of Scripture that when you get discouraged, that you go to those verses. Or when you're reading through your Bible, you, we, we, we have those favorite passages, those stories that engage us about the life of Moses and Abraham and Samson and, and the miracles that Jesus did. But how many of you just adore reading those fun, exciting sections of Exodus and Leviticus where he details um, how many cubits high every wall is supposed to be? And, and he details how many handbreadths wide the rim of the tables were supposed to be. And he goes into details about how they were supposed to make bowls and utensils. All the stuff that went into the temple. Don't, don't you just get excited when you come to that passage? And you go, ooh, <laughs> measurements and blueprints. This is cool stuff. Well, that's where the author of Hebrews goes. And he pulls out a single verse from Exodus chapter 25, verse 40. Exodus 25, 40 is the last verse of that section where God commands Moses how to build the furniture and utensils that go into the tabernacle. It's a passage that we oftentimes kind of skim through. We kind of go through it quickly because, you know, who just enjoys sitting down with blueprints and reading blueprints? They're important. You want to make things right, but... But it's not exactly great fiction, is it? And so, um, Exodus 25, sometimes we kind of skim through that because we see these blueprints and we thought, oh, okay, let's, let's, let's get on to the, the juicy stuff. And the author of Hebrews, though, he catches something. In the middle of that chapter with blueprints and designs and, and how you're supposed to do this and that, the author of Hebrews catches something in the middle of that context. God told Moses, when he goes up on Mount Sinai, he says, Moses, I want you to be careful. Everything that he was commanded to make in that chapter, I want you to be careful about how you do these things and make sure that you do them and make them according to the pattern. Now, all of us have seen blueprints at one time or another, right? We, we, uh, when you take a blueprint, you have a diagram of, of where things are supposed to go. Larry and I were talking yesterday. You know, we're, looking, we're look, working with boiler issues, so when we come the next winter, things are warm in here. And uh, we have a company that's saying, well, uh, you need to take measurements. You need all these pipes that you're sitting on top of that warm the floors here. That We need to know exactly how many feet are in there so we can put something into it. And So, you know, hopefully we have something in the blueprints, right, that shows us exactly what that is. Those blueprints are important because they show us how things are made and and where things are at. When you take a blueprint, you have a diagram of where things are supposed to go, how it's put together, what the measurements are supposed to be. And if you ignore the blueprint, then things aren't going to fit right. Well, in Exodus, Moses gets the ultimate blueprint. When Moses went up on top of the mountain, we're, we're told that heaven was opened. Moses gets a glimpse of heaven, of the real thing. 
Moses was shown the throne room of Yahweh, our God. And God told him to pay really close attention. He says, Moses, I want you to watch and look at all the stuff that's up here. I want you to see how this throne room, this heavenly tabernacle is designed. Because the design that you see here is the blueprint for what you're going to build down there. He says, pattern everything in the tabernacle after the real temple that he saw in heaven. And and so it's a simple verse that's kind of tacked on to the end of this chapter that we so easily miss. But there's this incredible statement there at the end of that chapter. Moses got to examine the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. Now the author of Hebrews takes that one obscure little verse that shows us this incredible experience that Moses had, and and he makes a major point with it in the book of Hebrews. You see, when all the high priests, they go down to Jerusalem, they serve there at that temple, and they climb up those 12 steps, and they're going through all these ceremonies, and they celebrate these holidays, and they make these sacrifices, and on the Day of Atonement, when that high priest crosses through that temple, or through that, that curtain, into the Holy of Holies, he says, when, when, when all these things are taking place, where, where are they making their offerings? He says, they're, they're serving in the copy. It's not the real thing. They're, they're just serving in an imitation of what's real. Elizabeth and, and Mitch and I were talking yesterday about art. And apparently Elizabeth is a fan of Monet. And apparently also Manet. Uh, which I'm now educated enough to understand that there's two people, not just one that I've been confusing all this time. And um, if, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Elizabeth, if, um, if, would you prefer in your new home when you get married, would you rather have a Trumanet landscape or a reprint? Yeah, the real thing, right? Because the copy's nice. Especially if it's really well done, not just a photograph. But, but it's nothing compared to the real thing. Hebrews notes that the copy in Jerusalem is just a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. The Old Testament priests and the Levites, where did they serve? They were in the copy. They were living in the shadow. And, and where does Jesus serve as our high priest today? He serves in the true temple. He's in the original. Today, as Jesus prays for you, He is seated in the original version of what Moses made when he made the tabernacle. And so, not only has he been appointed as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek and everything that we discussed that includes, uh, not only does he have a better priesthood, but Jesus has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant was just a, a glimpse of, of the real thing. It was just an imitation, a copy of everything else to come. And Jesus, His ministry takes place within the original, within the real thing. You know, I, I was reading through a message by Stephen Cole on this passage, and, and he makes this excellent point And he encourages us to pause here for a moment in this passage and and to stop and to consider what this means for us just in a very practical way today. Uh, And I I really appreciate how he said it. And so allow me to read part of his sermon because he he says it so well. 
two applications before we consider the second section of our text, which we'll look at next week. Jesus serves in heaven on our behalf. Let him serve you. Our tendency is to focus on how we should serve Jesus. And there's certainly a place for that. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 talks about that. But there's also a place for pausing from our busy activities and allowing Jesus to serve us. Do you recall Peter's horrified response when Jesus took the towel and the basin and he washed the disciples' feet? He said, Never shall you wash my feet. But Jesus countered him with, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. We have to allow the Lord through the water of His Word to wash off the dirt that we pick up from walking in this world. As our High Priest, He ministers on our behalf before the throne of majesty. Take the time before Him to allow His ministry to cleanse your soul. The heavenly and spiritual is more real than the earthly and visible. Keep seeking the things above. The author is making the point that the earthly tabernacle was not the real thing. The real tabernacle is in heaven where Jesus now is seated on our behalf. We are prone to think that the earthly is real, but the heavenly is less real than what we can experience with our senses. But Paul tells us, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And then he continues, at the very least, this means that we should meditate so often on the things of God that they become more real to us than the things on earth. We can only apprehend the things of God by faith in the truths of His Word. Meanwhile, we are surrounded and bombarded by all the things that we see on earth. Unless we, unless we deliberately and consistently cultivate this heavenly vision, our priorities will get out of kilter. We will get caught up pursuing the transitory and missing the eternal. My dear friends, I am afraid that we act a lot like my family cat. We go chasing after shadows. Sometimes good things. I mean, the temple was a good thing. Everything that God had commanded there was good. The Bible tells us the law was good. It pointed us to Jesus. And there's a lot of good things in your life that you're investing in, that you, that you are consumed with. And in and of themselves, a lot of them aren't bad. But oftentimes, we go chasing after that stuff, not realizing that those are just shadows. All the good that we experience there is just a shadow of the supreme that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. We pursue the stuff of this world and we are truly missing out on things of eternal value. We keep coming back to this question that Hebrews has been training us in. I hope that we're being trained in this. What, what are the somethings that you are chasing after? The Hebrews were tempted to go back to the shadows in Jerusalem. This copy 
of the real thing. They were tempted to redirect their worship around a system of, that, that was outdated and it no longer was useful. And he says, Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus has obtained a better ministry. That was their something. They, they were going after the stuff in Jerusalem or being tempted to. That was what the world called out to them and said, come back over here. Fill your heart with this because this will satisfy you. This will help you to avoid all the persecution of the people that keep asking you those questions. This will make you happy. So what are the somethings that call out to you? What are the, the good things or the sinful things or the things that are great that God says, this is good, enjoy this? What are those somethings that you are delighting your heart in that are good but aren't supreme? What are the good things that promise you that you, they will bring you fulfillment and hope and comfort but ultimately, they leave you empty when they become your everything. My friends, Jesus is better. And His ministry for you is better. In the second half of chapter 8, the author of Hebrews is going to show us how Christ, in Christ, we also have a better covenant. And he's going to primarily do that by taking us to a very important passage in the book of Jeremiah. In fact, this will be the longest quotation that he makes in the Old Testament. And I don't want to rob us of the discovery of this passage by skimming past it. And so, we're going to conclude next week by looking at that passage and how much greater the New Covenant is that we partake in today. Um, and so I'm going to give you a couple of assignments and then we're going to read through the rest of that passage in closing. A couple of assignments for you. If you're taking notes and you're studying Hebrews uh, throughout the week or, or later on Sundays, uh, first of all, I'd like you to read Jeremiah 30 and 31. Jeremiah 30 and 31. These two chapters prophesy what we call New Covenant. Jeremiah is talking about the Old Covenant and the law that had been given to Moses. And, and, and then he says there's a New Covenant. And so in these two chapters, he details what that's going to look like from Jeremiah's context. And so look ahead. Prepare for next week's passage by reading the, the whole context that's there. I would encourage you to check that out. But secondly, I'd like to challenge you to look up a, the definition of the word covenant. Uh, some of you can simply find a good Bible dictionary in our church library, or you can find one online. Um, just write down what it means. And for those of you who want to push yourself a little further than that, you can do some study on the different covenants in the Old Testament and challenge yourself to, to look a little past even just a simple definition. So those are your assignments for this week if you're, uh, if you're spending some time studying Hebrews, which many of you are. Well, this morning, let's conclude by reading God's Word. Listen to the words of the remainder of this chapter, chapter 8. He continues on verse 7 and says this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one, of his, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. Father, God, we, we do adore You. We adore Jesus. Thank You for His ministry to us. This morning as we consider what it means that He's our High Priest, what it means that He's ministering in the heavenlies, what it means that He's doing all of these things for us and that He will do so for eternity. Father, we thank You that that you are, you've accomplished so much in Jesus Christ. And that this ministry is so much better than, than what was found in the Old Covenant. And so, Lord, I, I pray that You would help us to enjoy that. Might we enjoy the fruits of a Savior who intercedes on our behalf, who is ministering to us and for us on our behalf in Your very presence right now. Pray that we would take comfort in His Word, in Your Word that You give to us. That we might be, um, that we might grow, that we might be cleansed by the washing of Your Word. We pray that You would honor and magnify Jesus Christ. Not only in heaven, but in our very hearts today. Might He be the focus of all that we do and all that we say. Father, for those that might be here today that don't know You, that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they would, that they would understand what an incredible ministry Jesus offers to them. That all began when, when Jesus died on a cross. He took our place. He paid for our sins so that all might be forgiven. And so we thank You. Please, as we go out from here, please teach us. Help us to live out these truths and take great comfort in the ministry that Jesus is serving us with today. Amen. If you would please stand.